please to Matthew the fifth chapter I'm going to speak on learning how to forgive learning how to forgive forgiveness is a very necessary experience in every one of our lives without it none of us could profess any hope of eternal salvation forgiveness is something that every one of us need on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis with one another and certainly with our God. And yet it's something that becomes very difficult for us as individuals to do many times. Three words that are very difficult to speak besides I was wrong is I forgive you because we tend to stand on our rights instead of our responsibilities to be light and salt in this world. But one of the most crucial lessons you and I can learn through our experience with Jesus Christ is that as God forgives, we must forgive. As the Father hath sent, as the Father sent Jesus Christ, so Christ sent us into the world to be salt and light. Now, he did not tell us to forgive because we would have very little occasion to do so. He said for us to forgive because he knew it would be a constant requirement in our life to be exercised. And the moment we fail to do so, we have to pay the consequences. And so when the Lord speaks to us concerning forgiveness and learning to forgive, it's for our benefit and not for the benefit of the recipient. Father, in Jesus' name, minister this truth to our hearts this morning, and I pray that we'll be not just hearers but doers of the word and be blessed accordingly. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. When I speak of forgiveness... The principle is in the Old Testament, but there was, an, uh, there was also an adjoining principle that we do not uh, recognize as being compatible with Christianity today. In the Old Testament, it was to hate your enemies. Matthew 5, verse 43. Matthew 5, verse 43, Jesus speaking. He said, Ye have heard that it hath been said. Now, whenever he said that, he was talking about Old Testament teaching, Old Testament principles, Old Testament practices that they had understood, the Jewish people had understood for many years. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor, and what? Hate thine enemy. Now, it wouldn't take you long to go through the book of, of, uh, or a book of uh, Psalms and find that David manifested this attitude many times. When he began speaking of the enemies, he said, May they be hewn in pieces, may they be chopped up, may they be uh, damned, don't remember their children, don't hear their prayers, let them be totally wiped off. He was practicing by the teaching that he had learned in the Old Testament, and Jesus said, Now, that was then, and this is now. Now, we keep talking about how Old Testament principles were radically changed when Jesus reestablished God's true principles of living. You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you, Whosoever shall look at a woman with lust in his heart, hath already committed adultery in his heart. And we have a new concept of what adultery is all about. You have heard it said, Thou shalt um, uh, not hate thy brother, but I say, Thou shalt not kill, I'm sorry, but I say unto you, whosoever looks, uh, has hatred in his heart for his brother, the same is a murderer. Now we have a new concept in the New Testament of what constitutes murder. It isn't just the physical act, but you and I can be murderers in our heart if we have hatred for one another. Jesus brought back the true biblical principles in the New Testament that God had intended originally when he said, you've heard it said that you, should love, uh, that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he says, but I say unto you, what? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, 
do good to them that hate you and pray for them which would despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust for if ye love them which love you what reward have ye do not even the publicans the same and if ye salute your brethren only what do ye more than others do not even the publicans so be ye therefore perfect even as your father which is in heaven is perfect now we know that he said the principle in the past was to hate your enemies, but the new principle is to love your enemy. Now, if you'll move over to the sixth chapter of Matthew, and beginning with the ninth verse, we read the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And I hope you know that what he taught his disciples is applicable to us today. There are some people say, well, that was just for them back there. No, it's, it's for us today. These things, the Old Testament was written for us. The New Testament is written to us. And if it's written to us, then we should abide by it or learn from it. Uh, Matthew, the sixth chapter, beginning with the ninth verse. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Now that's the upward look. Now the next verses are the inward look. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, another translation has that as we have forgiven, have, past tense, forgive us as we have already forgiven our debtors or did already forgive our debtors. He said, when you come to me, already have that done. Don't come to me with resentment or bitterness or antagonism in your heart. If you come to the altar with a gift and he says, you see that you have ought against your brother or your brother has ought against you, leave the gift and go and settle that and then come back to the altar. Jesus does not make this a light issue. He's saying if you haven't done that, I'm not going to hear your prayer anyway. Now, it's a, it's a very devastating thing to say to someone, you know, unless you and I get recognized unconfessed sin out of our heart, we might as well forget our prayer life. Because the, the Bible says very clearly, forgive us as we forgive, as we have already forgiven. And it becomes very essential for us to come into a place of our pattern of life where it's easy for us to forgive. Unless we, ha <clears throat> excuse me, unless we have done that, we're not to be praying the Lord's Prayer. We're not to be saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because if we say that, then we, if we're, if we're his children, we're to be obedient children of God. You see, nowhere, and may you, you might want to write this down, nowhere in the Scripture does it show that unforgiveness is ever forgiven. If you don't forgive, I don't forgive. You're at an impasse as far as God is concerned. You'll, we're going to talk about some conditions concerning forgiveness, but let me just give you a, a definition of what forgiveness is according to the dictionary. Forgiveness is to pardon or to excuse. Secondly, forgiveness is, and this goes beyond just forgive, it's saying, I'm, uh, yes, I, I forgive you, to give up the wish to punish or get even with. If you or I forgive someone, we have to drop the desire to see them get punished. And I can't tell you how many, of course, I know this never happens in your life, but how many times as a Christian down through the years, I've said, God, when are you going to take care of that? When are you going to deal with them? In fact, there were times when I've been a Christian, I said, Lord, don't worry about this. I can handle this one. <laughs> you, know, and you always get in trouble when you say that, Lord, I'll deal with this one myself. 
But how many times do we say, yes, I've forgiven them, but God's going to get them for it? True forgiveness eliminates that. I am so glad that God doesn't say to me, I forgive you, but you just wait. True forgiveness says not only do we pardon and excuse, but we give up the wish to punish or get even. And forgiveness also means not to have hard feelings at or toward that person. Has anyone ever done something to you where you said, I've forgiven them, and yet you still have that little cage down there that you keep them in? And every time their name comes to your mind, you take them out and slap them around a little bit and work them over a little bit and put them back in there and say, I got even with them again. No, really, that's what people do. There's some people that's Christians that have carried around a hurt from the past way, way back. Or someone really did something to damage them or a loved one in their family. And they said, yes, I've forgiven them. Holy, holy, holy. Lord, don't you? Aren't you glad I'm so holy? And every time that name comes up inside, it doesn't make a difference what's outside. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. And inside, that person has that little person, that person in a cage, and they again say, that was so rotten. I don't know why they did that. They, mm, they have a feeling there of retaliation, a feeling of, of resentment. It's, oh, it wouldn't come out. I mean, I mean, can't you see my unspotted garment? But in their heart, they still have those hard feelings toward that person. That's not genuine forgiveness. Genuine forgiveness means we have to set it aside. Fourthly, it means to give up all claim to and demand of payment for. That's kind of heavy, isn't it? When Jesus says that we should forgive even as Christ hath forgiven us, would any of you want Christ to forgive you in any less manner than this? In the same manner, to the same degree that Christ hath forgiven us, we are to forgive. This is the definition. To pardon, excuse, to give up the wish to punish or to get even with, not to have hard feelings at or toward, to give up all claim to and not demand payment for. That's genuine forgiveness. Now, how many of you know if you've been in the church very long that you don't see a lot of this type of forgiveness taking place? Many Christians today, even though they say they're trying to, and I, I'm not trying to criticize them, they really, I believe, are trying to walk with the Lord, but they don't understand biblical principles. When they say forgiveness, they mean that means I'm not going to hit you in the mouth the next time I see you. It means I'll go out the opposite door of the church if it has two church doors, two doors in the church. It means that if I know you're going to a party, I'm not going to go to that same uh, outing. It, it means if I see you coming down the street, I'll go in the other direction. If I see you in a store, I'll see to it that I'm busy doing something over here on the counter so I don't have to say hi to you because there's still that little, that little tight spot in here that won't, I won't let go of because of what you did to me or someone that I know. Consequently, the church is filled with people today who are walking around with hurt inside of them. They've opened themselves to a spirit of hurt. They've opened themselves to a spirit of hatred in many, time, in many situations or a spirit of resentment. Now, if you talk to them about that person, they have learned how to put a little cage, a little casing over it, and they'll be able to tell you, oh, no, that's their problem. I mean, that, it's all settled. It's all taken care of. But we know many times down deep in our heart that we haven't really, in this capacity, forgiven them, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. Consequently, you see, again, the reason I say it's not hurting the recipient, it's hurting us if we'll hold resentment, if we'll hold unforgiveness or hatred or, or hurt or retaliation inside of us, if we even hold self-righteousness within us, 
Now, I know that brother or sister such and such did this, and he did it to dear friends of mine, and that hurt them very, very much. I would never do that. I want you to know that, I mean, that person is much less than me because you would never find me. The Word of God says, Let him that thinketh that he stand take heed lest he fall. All you're doing is recognizing their weakness and forgetting that there are fields where you and I have weaknesses also. The Scripture says there are none righteous, no, not one. And where you fail here, I fail here, 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 and here. But oh, it's so easy to say, Do you know what he or she did? How could they do that? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all fail. There's none righteous, no, not one. The only difference is they got caught, and many times we don't get caught. Know what I'm talking about? How many of you know that you're glad that God does not take all the thoughts and all the attitudes and all the words that ever run through your mind in a week and put them up on the screen on Sunday morning and say, this is what you thought and said this last week when no one was around? How many of you know if he did that, the churches would be empty? How many of you know that because we trust the fact that it's under the blood that we can come to church and not be worried about it? How many of you know that next week God doesn't reach in his pocket and say, I want to go over that again, what you did last weekend? Many times self-righteousness is involved as I told you about the husband who said his wife, every time he did something wrong, she got historical. Not hysterical, historical. She brought up everything he'd ever done wrong in the past. God doesn't do that. And neither should we as Christians when we forgive. We must put it behind us and go on and believe that God is going to do something. Now, many times when we have this in our heart, if you're really honest and we're talking to these people, they'll say, well, I just sense there isn't something right. But they don't take the time to analyze and say, have I really... forgiven even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven me and if we don't do that sooner or later one of those areas will destroy us spiritually you cannot take those things in and hold on to them but what sooner or later they're going to influence your whole attitude of living I want to talk to you about the divine pattern of forgiveness for God so loved the world for God so loved the world the first aspect of divine love is that it's undeserved The Word tells me that while we were yet in our sins, Christ died for the ungodly. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for me. And I want to tell you something. 40-some years ago, I was a mess. And even while I was a mess, Christ loved, God loved me enough that he, in the before-time agreement, agreed to have his son sent to this earth to die for my sins and your sins. I can't understand that, but it had nothing to do with emotions. It had to do with a decision on God's part. And let me tell you something. If you and I are going to love someone or forgive someone, it becomes not emotionalism. It becomes an act of our will. I choose to forgive. Just as God forgave. It is not based upon my good works. Let me assure you, God didn't forgive me because of my good works. God forgave me out of non-reciprocal love. He chose to forgive me. And you and I, if we're going to forgive people today, let me tell you, it won't be on the basis that they deserve it or they earned it. It's only going to be on the basis of mercy and grace when others do things to us that we do not enjoy. We hated God. We had no fellowship with Him. Yet the Word says He loved us. Secondly, not only God did God uh, choose to love us un, un, 
deservedly, but secondly, he openly manifested that love to us. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave as a gift, gave as a free gift, his only begotten son. Now, when he gave his son, there was still no fellowship. Man's back was still turned against him. There was no fellowship. And in the midst of that rebellion that was in our hearts, God openly manifested it, and God gave a promise that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Because God made a decision and he acted upon that decision, he made manifest, he gave out a, a provision for us that whosoever believeth. Now he did this, the word of God says, that men might repent. It's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. And how many times have I had people say they don't deserve to be forgiven? I mean, what do you know what they did? They deserve to die. They deserve punishment. They deserve all these things. They should just be locked up forever. You know, it's the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. What do you think it takes to lead others to repentance? When we manifest the love of Christ to other people when they don't deserve it. You know, something that came to my mind when I was studying for this, I was a brand new Christian right out of the world, and I... I didn't know anything about biblical principles, and I was living in the dormitory, and the dean of men, I don't know why he just kind of took a hold of me and thought I'm going to try to help this young guy along because I didn't have rough edges. I was a rough edge coming out of the world and seeing my friends go to reform school in prison. and I just, I can't describe to you what it was like that first year in Bible school, but this dean of men would take me to the side and talk to me, and he'd share something with me. He said, now don't tell anybody this, but this and this and this and this. And I don't know. Uh, to this day, I think he did it on purpose. He was testing me. And I would go out in the dormitory and in the school, and we'd get to talking, and all of a sudden, somebody would be talking about something, and I'd say, oh, yeah, and I knew something, and I would say it. And I'd say, oh, I told him I wouldn't say that. What did I do? I'd run back to the dean, and, will you please forgive me? I said, I said Joey, so you're going to have to be careful of that. He said, he said, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. And you know, next time he'd get together with me, he'd be talking to me. He said, by the way, don't tell anybody this. And he'd tell me again. He did that about two or three times, and every time I go, I'm so sorry, I shouldn't have. The guy really should have just given me a boot. But you know, I learned to love him because it was the goodness of that man that finally led me to repentance where I said, I better learn to keep my mouth shut. That's one, by the way, when I started hearing that verse that the fool speak of his whole mind, the prudent hold back a little bit. But you see, he kept forgiving me and forgiving me and forgiving me. And when I went home that first year from school and didn't come back, he came down to my hometown and got after me and said, you get back to school. He could have said, hey, don't have anything to do with that kid. He just, he's, he's got a lot of lessons to learn. He doesn't really deserve forgiveness. I mean, after two or three times, after all. He also did it that men might have fellowship with him. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open unto me, I will come into him and sup with him and him with me. If you'll open the door, I'll totally forgive you and I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you and you can fellowship with me. And Paul goes on to say, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. So that's the divine pattern. And, the, and let me give you a couple of examples now, in, I, even though in the Old Testament they talked about hating your enemies, there were examples in the Old Testament which were uh, a shadow of Jesus Christ or an example of Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament. And I'm thinking specifically of Joseph who was a type of Christ. 
Now, he had half-brothers, as you know, that uh, um, didn't think too much of him. They were jealous of him, and I can understand why. Anytime you have a father that favors one child over the rest of them, you, you're going to have problems. And uh, how many times have you heard parents say, well, I always got, my brothers and sisters always got nice things, and I always got leftovers. I always got hand-me-downs. And You know, they've carried this resentment all down through their life. And this becomes a real point of contention. And this is what some people, when they're teaching concerning marrying, that the couples make sure that just loving each other isn't enough to get married. You're going to have to realize that in the days ahead, there are going to be social repercussions, and you should get the blessings of both parents on that marriage before you step into that marriage. If you don't, they say that when you do get married, and, the, and the, say the wife's parents kind of resent the husband, when the child is born, two or three children are born, they'll pick one of them and begin to favor that one. And then the other parents, having resentment toward the, the wife, will take some of the other children and begin to favor them and begin to pull the family apart and have all kinds of problems in the days ahead. Well, Joseph was one of those that was favored, and his father made him a coat of many colors. And Joseph also was a dreamer, and God gave him visions. And uh, he didn't realize that some visions you should not tell everybody about. It was just between you and the Lord. So he went out and told them that God said that one of these days he was going to, that they were going to bow down and worship him. And uh, he was going to rule over them and his mother and father. So you know when they got a chance, they threw Joseph into a pit, sold him as a slave. Later on he was in prison. And in God's timing, the scripture says, he was brought out of that prison. And then he was put in a place of authority in Egypt. And when he was placed in a place of authority because of a dream and a vision that, God had, uh, that he had interpreted, uh, he knew that there was going to be seven years of, of abundance and then seven years of famine. Uh, Pharaoh put him in charge of it all. He saved up all the food. So when the famine came, the children of Israel had to finally, Joseph's brothers were sent by Jacob down to Egypt to find food. How many of you know that there are many Christians today had that come Someone would have said, hey, brother, do you see who's coming in there? <laughs> do you think they're going to get anything? We got any of that rat-infested uh, food over there in that bag left? That stuff we swept up off the floor? We got any of that? We can send there. How many of you know that that's the typical attitude that many in the church today have because someone has done wrongly to them? How many of you know there are very few Christians today, though, that can actually say that they were thrown in a pit and sold as a slave by their brother and they've forgiven them? There are very few examples that you can have today that would compare with what Joseph went through. And yet the Word of God tells me that he had the authority to destroy them, but that he loved them and uh, fed them, restored them, and brought them to the land of Goshen. And consequently, that nation was saved. Uh, there was a quote that was made, says, it's a fine thing to have revenge in one's power, but it's a finer thing not to use it. And there are many Christians today that don't get even with people because they don't have the authority and the power to do it, but there are others, when they do have that authority, they use it. And genuine biblical Christianity says that even when you have the power and the authority to do what you want to do, you don't do it for love's sake. You can say amen if you want to. Joseph instead gave them food, protected them, loved them, and totally forgave them. I mean to a place when he, the brothers all thought, yeah, he's being nice right now because dad's still around and dad would really get after him, but wait till dad dies. And boy, when Jacob got ready to die, they were really afraid. 
You know why? Because they carried that guilt all those years. They knew that everything they did was absolutely rotten, and it was very, very hard on them for him to forgive them. They, they probably wish he would have slapped them around a little bit so they could have gotten it over with, but it's just like they thought he was just sitting there holding the hammer back here just waiting for that chance when they, weren't, when they least expected he was going to pop them. Joseph is a type of Christ. He came to them and said, you meant it for evil, but what? God meant it for good. Wasn't that a wonderful perspective? How many times would it be a blessing to others if we could walk with that same perspective when people do things to us? We can say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. There's nothing you can do to me, for no weapon that's formed against me can prosper if I walk in the light as he is in the light. There's nothing you can say or do, no force that can come against me, but what it will eventually work out for my good. Because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Yes, but who's going to take care of them and stop them from doing that? That's not my responsibility. You let the Lord deal with them. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't deal with you at the same extremity that you want many times him to work with others? Well, boy, I just really think she or he need to be dealt with in this situation. Let the Lord deal. That's not your responsibility. That's like walking around the church and slapping everybody else's kids in the line. That's not your responsibility. I know we're a family, but there comes a line where you say, this far and no further. God holds us responsible for our own situation. I'm going to have to stop already. I'm sorry because of the Lord's Supper this morning, but tonight I want to follow through on some principles that we need to understand when it comes to total forgiveness before the Lord. 